And welcome you into another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shopto, C70 at the bat, at C70 on Twitter. With me, as always, is Tara Wellman from Birds on the Black at, at Tara Wellman on the Twitters. Um, you know, Tara and I were kind of figuring out exactly what we wanted to talk about today. The Cardinals have been out of the playoffs for um, a week now. Um, being that the playoffs are still going on, there's really nothing that's going to come breaking news for the Cardinals or anything like that. Uh, they're kind of be quiet until after the world series, I guess, Tara, if nothing else, we talk about which former Cardinal we want to see win the world series. I think there's a former <laughs> Cardinal on every team and there's obviously one on the Rays in Randy Rosarena who hit another home run tonight. A um, lot of chatter, if you will, about how the Cardinals let that one get away. Fair or not fair. You know, I was amused by the Luke Voigt chatter last year in the postseason, thinking, yeah, okay, it's it's one year, it's one postseason, he's not that guy, we saw who he was, and then turns out he's even better than he was then, at least in a shortened season. So I think that there's certainly reason to look at the recent past as far as guys that were traded away from St. Louis and then found great success, and think two things. First of all, how are the Cardinals so consistently bad at evaluating talent? <laughs> and what is wrong with their system at the major league level that these guys who succeed at every other level of their careers can't break through at the big league level and then do just that and more when they go somewhere else? Now, to be completely fair, as far as Rose Reina is concerned, he hasn't looked like this all season. <laughs> this isn't who he was for the duration of that 60 game season, but it is what he's doing when the lights are the brightest. And, you know, he's a big piece of the, the reason that the Rays are in the position that they're in and that they're being looked at, you know, as serious contenders in this race. So I do think that it's fair to look at what's happened, not just with, Randy, but with Luke Voigt and with Tommy Pham and, you know, with, I mean, there are a handful of others that we could talk about as well that have had success elsewhere, more success than they did in St. Louis, and wonder why that is. Is it just a matter of the Cardinals not recognizing talent when they have it? Or is there something that happens in the translation of the additional information that they get at the major league level, or the methodology, or the game planning, or just the people who are around them giving them instructions or advice at the major league level that it's not working the same way that things worked for them, you know, when they were hitting the cover off the ball in AAA. So I don't know that there's an answer to any of that, but I do think it's fair to ask those questions. Well, and <clears throat> it is, it is absolutely fair, but it's also like for Mr. Voigt, for example, I, you know, pull up his splits and, Away from Yankee Stadium this year, he hit 227 with a 735 OPS compared to hitting 319 with a 1,127 OPS in Yankee Stadium. The ballpark matters. Sure. Um, and that is something that Bush Stadium has legitimately suppressed over a number of years. So, again, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the Luke Voigt was not likely to be Luke Voigt, this kind of Luke Voigt in St. Louis, no matter if they had let him have it. Um, the whole time. And then, you know, again, they went out and got Paul Goldschmidt. I don't think many of us are complaining about first base right now. Um, you could argue the whole financials and ramifications, whatever, but I think for the most part, 
Paul Goldschmidt at first base is a good thing. Uh, Randy Rosarena, I think we're going to have to, it's just putting more and more pressure on Matthew Libidor, right? I mean, yeah. um, <clears throat> Rosarena feels to me like the one that the Cardinals might have misjudged more than any. I mean, Tommy Pham was not hitting when he left here. Um, there was obviously, I think, some tension around that. And, you know, Tommy Pham's going to be a guy that gets fired up about things and, and can tear things up for a while, but we'll see how that goes. I mean, there's a lot of issues with Tommy Pham. <clears throat> We've talked about Luke Boyd, but uh, Rosarena, uh, boy, it just doesn't feel like they ever gave him a full chance. Now, again, it sounds like Tampa Bay focused on him and they wanted him for sure. They weren't, you know, they were willing to give up a very valuable piece of Matthew Libertor for him and him alone. But, you know, when you look at what this team has in pitching and what this team doesn't have in hitting, you think maybe they could have, you know, as tempting as that offer was, maybe they should have passed on it. Yeah, it definitely makes you look at Libertor and think, okay, he better be everything that they expected him to be and more. And, you know, I guess that's not necessarily fair, but it is the reality of how people are going to look at this, especially after seeing what. A Rosarena is capable of. And here's the thing, even if he doesn't hit like this all the time, it's just further proof that this is something he's capable of doing. Now, can he repeat that? Can he find a way to hit more along this line consistently than maybe he did earlier in the season? That's still to be determined, but that's still all a part of that learning curve at the major league level. So yeah, with Libertor and the pitching that could be there, that's great. And we know how much the Cardinals value the strength of their pitching staff. So it makes sense in that regard. But what doesn't make sense is the continued merry-go-round of outfielders where they cannot find one that sticks. And it doesn't matter if it was Marcelo Zuna being good-ish in St. Louis and then, you know, back to MVP-type caliber player might be a little bit generous, but you get the point as soon as he leaves St. Louis for one year. Again, yes, the ballpark matters. That may come into play when you look at Paul Goldschmidt's numbers as well, thinking, wow, I thought he was going to be better than this. It's not a great place to hit as far as power is concerned, but the power is one thing. The like 0 for 23 <laughs> is yeah. a different thing. And that's what they cannot afford to miss on again with another outfielder because man, then you go watch these guys, whether it's Tommy Pham or Randy Rosarena or, you know, who, whomever else it might be. Now I realize Oscar Mercado was one that a lot of people talked about. Hasn't quite lived up to the, the possible uh, op opportunities there, but nonetheless, it feels overwhelmingly like people leave St. Louis and get better. And that is a concerning thing. Yes, the ballpark matters. Um, but I, I would think that there has to be something in the, the process that could be changed as well so that you don't have, you know, three outfield positions and they're batting seven, eight, and nine in the lineup when you have a DH. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's not great. And I mean, we do talk about the ballpark, and it may suppress power a bit. But you know, it's been what just three or four years ago that it feels like forever ago. But that Matt Carpenter had fifty-five doubles yeah. in a season. Now you know that's a lot, but you know you are going to be you should be able to get some sort of that kind of doubles power with if nothing else. I mean, if if the Cardinals want to hit doubles all day long, that's going to score a lot of runs. Yeah. You know, so I'm fine with that. Um, yeah, there does feel like there might be some evaluation issues. Um, 
you know, it used to be that the Cardinals did not trade away anybody that made a difference anywhere else. You know, <clears throat> some of that was a different era and how they were trading it. You know, I don't know that you get Mark McGuire for three no-name prospects nowadays um, or uh, Jim Edmonds for uh, a guy that just happened to win 16 games the year before. Um, but, you know, nowadays it starts to, you know, those trade balances are a little bit more of a deficit than, than we expected to. Now, again, they got Giovanni Gallegos out of the Louis deal. It's not been a total bust. I mean, mm-hmm. think, you know, that's been a valuable and helpful, uh, especially when you don't have any hitting, you've got to have that kind of lockdown pitching. And he's been that for pretty much. But <clears throat> I do think the organization, I don't know, may need a little bit of a recalibration, maybe need a little bit of, you know, maybe they've lost some of the, the, intellectual talent um, going to different places, not just a Jeff Lonow, but others uh, that have gone to different, different teams. And, you know, maybe it's time for a little bit of a shakeup. Maybe it's time to, you know, focus a little bit more on hitting than pitching. I don't know, but it does feel like 2020 did not, even though the Cardinals made us to the playoffs again, um, did not shake them out of the stagnation that we've seen over the last maybe the last five years, you know, um, it just doesn't feel like that's been there. Um, you're just kind of seeing the same old, same old, and they may win more than they lose, but they're not doing it in a very exciting fashion. Yeah. I mean, we keep hearing talk about things like the pitching lab or the advanced analytics that have to do with developing pitching. And we hear other organizations talk about how the Cardinals have created this formula for developing pitchers that maybe aren't the guy that was a super high draft pick and everyone knew what his step, maybe not a a Matthew Libertor, right? And you develop those guys into major league caliber starting pitchers and you have like 12 of them every year. That's what a lot of people talk about as far as the Cardinals organizationally. What we don't hear talk about as much is the development on the offensive side of things. And I realize that's a different process than like crafting a pitch to use effectively that no one's ever seen before, right? That's not necessarily something you do as a hitter. But you're right. I do think that there is something to finding, and I don't know, I guess perhaps the Jeff Albert hire was intended to be like that, right? To create that hitting curriculum that could be implemented throughout the system. Um, But here's the thing. The the guys at AAA tend to hit pretty well. And again, park factors, competition level, whatever, I get it. Um, But to then bring them to the major league level and try to change and I don't know how much has changed. I don't know what is different now than it was three years ago. I don't know where they, you know, diverged from the days when Mark McGuire was the hitting coach. We often, I mean, it seems like every season talk about how much does a hitting coach really even do. Um, and time and time again, we see guys leave the team in the offseason and go back to their personal hitting coach and come into spring training and look like a completely different hitter. So what is the gap there? Why is it so glaring in some cases? And, you know, where has all the power gone in St. Louis? I would love for that to be a focus instead of just, we're going to get better at understanding analytics. How about let's get better at figuring out why Matt Carpenter looks like he does and why nobody on the team can hit for power and why, you know, Harrison Bader can tear 
it up for, uh, you know, three or four games and then go over for the next seven. Like there's so many questions there that I don't know, maybe they don't have the kind of simple answers that we all wish that they did. Um, you know, often I, I joke about a line from an old Disney Channel original movie, Brink, and uh, it's about, you know, these these uh, rollerblading teams and their com- competitive days. One kid, the star of the movie, um, isn't skating well, and his little sister says, just skate better. <laughs> and he goes, oh, just skate better. <laughs> so I wish it was that easy. I wish there was a symbol, just hit better. Um, and obviously it's not that simple. What they're trying to do, especially against the pitching that gets better and better and better every year, as guys do go to a pitching lab and literally create new grips and new spin on the ball and change their arm angle. What a, hitting right now has to be one of the hardest things in all of professional sports because of how good the pitching is. So I understand that. But look, other teams have figured it out. (laughs) There is a way to score more runs than the Cardinals have been able to do consistently and to hit for more power and to, you know, look like they're not completely overmatched every other day. And I'm just sort of rambling at this point because I don't have an answer to any of this. But to where I started, Yes, the focus has primarily been on pitching, and the Cardinals have gotten really good at that. They found a formula that works, and they've been able to replicate it, and they've been able to turn guys who were kind of nothing, as far as prospects are concerned, into legitimate major league caliber talent. Find a way to do that on the hitting side, and then it might change the narrative a little bit about the St. Louis Cardinals. But to do that, it's not going to take one guy to be a big bat in the middle of the lineup, right? It's it's not a one-person fix. <laughs> it's going to be something that they haven't discovered yet or they haven't implemented yet. And that's a terrifying way to go into an offseason, knowing there's got to be a solution, but we don't know what it is. Yeah, and not only do we not know how what it is, we have no idea how they're going to implement it because... Yeah. This is an off season that does not look like it's going to be where you're going to spend a lot of money because of the fact that the Cardinals probably lost significant numbers. <clears throat> I think there was a report out earlier this week that the Brewers lost a hundred million, hundred eighty million dollars. And I know that these guys have lots of money, but that actually was probably something they notice. Um, <laughs> it's not just pocket change. Cardinals probably is somewhere in that same boat, I would gather. Um, and then there's no guarantees on 2021 right now. I mean, the idea that there's going to be a full crowd on opening day seems fairly insane right now, doesn't it? I mean, I, I can't see how that's going to happen. Um, even if a vaccine happens quicker than we think, I just don't know. And they don't know. And, and if there's anything this Cardinal team hates, hates, it's uncertainty. Um, you know, if you told them they could win 86 games every single year and make the playoffs most of those years, they'd probably be fine with it because they would know what's going on. <clears throat> um, I hate that uncertainty. And there's not a whole lot of huge free agents on the market right now, although, you know, maybe some players will get waived and, uh, you know, some people that get non-tendered beforehand that are worth picking up. But right now there's not much there. So you start wondering how they are going to fix whatever holes they have or if they will. I mean, there's there's a decent chance 2021 is a kind of treading water thing. Tara and I were talking before the show, and then we, we decided to talk about this terrible, terrible choice that the Cardinals couldn't make. Cardinals are not going to make, but if they had to, would you rather 
the Cardinals trade Jack Flaherty or Dylan Carlson. Um, Tara, I, I know we don't want them to trade either one of them, and I don't <laughs> think they will trade either one of them. But given the whole situation that you see, who is the one that's least likely to go? This is a terrible choice to try to have to make because I, I, I mean, you <laughs> thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, Jack Flaherty is going to be spectacular. And I think everyone in baseball knows it at this point. They saw it the second half of last season, and he never really got a chance to get going this season. And, you know, that's unfortunate in terms of this season, but I don't think it really changes anything as far as the expectations for his career. I think the other factor there is that Jack Flaherty is eventually going to cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And he's the kind of player that I could see the Cardinals shelling out that money for, but they haven't often done that in the past. The other thing about Jack Flaherty is that Jack Flaherty knows he's going to be worth a lot of money and he's not going to be remotely interested in any sort of games being played with what he should get or what he should take in order to stay with St. Louis. That's not to say he doesn't want to stay in St. Louis. It's just a matter of he's part of this generation of players that is very involved in what they are worth and how that process works and in defending it and not just kind of taking what they're offered because it's what they're offered. So when you factor that in, plus the fact that, man, I don't know if the Cardinals can stand one more miss on trading an outfielder and then watching him succeed somewhere else. It almost feels like Carlson is the guy that they would hold on to in hopes of being able to say with a sigh of relief, see, I knew he was going to be great at some point, hoping that, you know, that kind of covers their, uh, their errors of the past or, or at least as we perceive them. So terrible choice to have to make. I don't want to see Jack Flaherty dominating, you know, for the Dodgers or something like that. But yeah. uh, if there was that choice that had to be made because of the extra circumstances, Jack Flaherty is going to cost him a lot of money a lot quicker than Dylan Carlson is. And they've got to find some offense. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no doubt that the offense has to be there. And um, boy, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that with everything that factor in, plus injury rates of pitchers, plus, you know, the fact that they have a lot of them, you know, yes, they probably killed the old Carlson over Jack Flaherty, but, you know, it's like six and one half dozen of the other. They're not going to move either one of those guys. So, um, but, you know, it's one of those things. <clears throat> we have 30 minutes. We have to fill some of it. Um, and, you know, that's what we could do with, um, you know, terrible, terrible questions like that. But, you know, and, and that's an interesting thing to think about, though, to some degree, because we haven't seen Dylan Carlson. We saw him have about a good, what, week, two weeks, maybe. And and not that that's, I'm not slighting him or anything, but it's just the fact that that's where this offense is at. If two weeks of a top prospect that looks like he could actually be that top prospect might leapfrog him in the pecking order over a guy that, you know, had a half of a season that looked like Bob Gibson's. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's tough to even put that into real terms. And, you know, Carlson, Carlson had a rough start. And I I know that that's going to stick in the minds of some fans, um, maybe unfairly so. But he is as of yet unproven. 
And it's another situation where you're banking on potential and what you saw in the minor leagues as opposed to what you've already seen from Jack Flaherty at the major league level against some of the best competition in the league. So uh, I don't know that it's I don't I don't know how you make that choice. I'm glad I don't have to make it. <laughs> I certainly don't think that the Cardinals are going to be in a rush to make it. Um, you know, if I were to guess, I would say that the two biggest pieces that will come into play as far as conversations are concerned would be like a Colton Wong and a Carlos Martinez. Now, there's certainly questions about what that would merit in return in either case, but especially in terms of Carlos Martinez. Um, you know, Tommy Edmond is a guy that this season kind of played wherever they could stick him because he didn't have a spot on the field. Uh, you know, Tyler O'Neill is going to be in that conversation. Harrison Bader is going to be in the conversation. Lane Thomas did not impress anybody this year in the limited chances that he had in 2020. So Colton Wong and Carlos Martinez are the names that come to mind as in similar terms to Jack Flaherty are... <laughs> People will argue with me about this, but uh, proven major league talent. I realize the situation with Carlos Martinez has been a struggle for the last three seasons in terms of, is he a starter? Is he a bullpen guy? Is he healthy? Is he not? But let's be real. Prior to that injury, uh, you know, what was that? 2018? um, He had almost never been injured as a starting pitcher. And he was making a case as one of the top pitchers in the National League. And then he got hurt and everything's been complicated since then. Now, I realize there are other issues that a lot of people like to bring up with Carlos Martinez, whether it's his hair or whether it's his social media or whether it's whatever. I don't care about any of that. I care that when he is healthy and when he is pitching like we've seen him capable of, he has the stuff to be one of the best pitchers in the league. The question with him is, can he get back to that spot? And in terms as it relates to Jack Flaherty versus uh, Dylan Carlson, that's the kind of proof of major league talent that Dylan Carlson just doesn't have yet. And that's just a matter of time, I think. But it all factors into this conversation, theoretical or not, (laughs) about, you know, whether you keep the guy you know can do it or you keep the guy who you hope can do it. And they do very different things. And this team needs one more than the other at this point. But again, if you're not going to get that offense, you have to have the pitching. So how do you weigh the value of the known commodity of Jack Flaherty versus the possibility of offense from Dylan Carlson? I don't know. I'm glad, like I said, I'm glad I don't have to make that call. (laughs) Yeah. And again, I don't think the Cardinals do either. Um, But this is a team that, well, it's very hard to see how this team doesn't look a lot the same next year as it did this year um, for good or ill. I mean, you know, your biggest free agents are Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. That's everybody's looking at trying to bring them back. But if the Cardinals bring them back, exercise the option on Wong, I mean, the only people that are going to be gone, you know, necessarily that made an impact this year are Brad Miller. And, you know, he's the only free agent that could walk. Matt White readers did not make an impact. Um, That's what happens when you don't get to play. Um you know, those are the other free agents. You've got guys like Tyler O'Neill that might not be around, but you know, again, he led the team in home runs as well. But if you miss him next year, do you notice it? Um, I don't know. feels like this team's going to run out a starting lineup 
and a rotation that's very, very similar to what we expected to see at the beginning of this year before all of the craziness that is 2020. And they will sell it to us as we never got a chance to see everybody together all at the same time, all at the same place, all prepared and ready to go. And they will tell us that COVID in terms of baseball threw everyone off. They will tell us that they had 17 days of delay when they had their own COVID outbreak. And they will tell us that they made the postseason anyway. That's what they will tell us. That's what they will sell to the fans. And most people won't buy it. And the Cardinals organization will kind of bury their heads in the sand and assume everyone thinks they did a great job because that's what they keep saying. It's almost like if they say it loud enough, long enough, they'll start to believe it even though none of the rest of us do. And I, I, I do want to caveat that by saying, look, our expectations of success are very different than a lot of other organizations who think making the postseason is a great thing because they haven't done it in a while. And that's not to knock other organizations. It's just to say there's a different standard because of the success that this organization has had. And I always feel like I have to caveat that. And for the people who listen to this podcast, I probably don't. But just for my own sanity, I get it. What we're asking this organization to do is to be better than making the postseason. And for a lot of organizations, making the postseason is the goal. It just feels like after the number of years of barely making the postseason and then looking real bad once you get there, they might want to change things up and not try to sell us the same lines about how successful they were the year before. Now, one thing they can't do after this year is brag about the number of fans that attended games or tickets sold, I guess. Um, So they can't can't do that. There were a lot of cardboard cutouts, so I guess maybe they could do it anyway. But um, the best cardboard cutouts in baseball, I I don't know. Maybe Uh, more than anybody else. I don't know. Maybe. Could be. Who knows? I don't know if anyone has those numbers readily available. Probably not. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I I don't I agree with you I don't expect dramatic changes because they have a track record at this point and it's to not make dramatic changes and then to create a narrative that tells us it's all okay and that tells us they were actually better than anyone's giving them credit for and to tell us that they're going to be better just because they're going to be better next year and we're all supposed to just go oh yeah okay okay cool I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you know you kept the kept the band together and that's good enough so all of a sudden I'm sounding very cynical, <laughs> but that's what this team does to me sometimes when, you know, we continue to see the same thing over and over again. And it's not as if they're struggling in different ways every year because they're actually trying. And this goes back to what we talked about last week. At least try, at least try something to keep it interesting. And I know that there's a St. Louis Cardinals brand and that it's not the most thrilling (laughs) a lot of the time it's very vanilla but every once in a while you need something other than vanilla (laughs) in order to keep people interested so look I don't want Jack Flaherty or Dylan Carlson or Colton Wong to be playing and I guess Carlos Martinez as well to be uh, you know successful in someone else's jersey but I also don't necessarily want to watch the same team fail to be interesting for like the fifth year in a row. <laughs> yeah. um, and be told uh, over and over again that it's actually okay. And I'm just being too critical. Yeah. I mean, the, all of that, you said that the front office would tell you at least a lot of it. They do have some. Sure. Truth. None of uh, it is inaccurate. <laughs> no. I mean, there is truth. That this is a very difficult off season and, 
it's hard to see that. And, and I think, I think we would be somewhat more open and accepting, at least some people, not all, that if they came out and said, look, we lost a ton of money this year. We don't know what next year is going to be like. We really can't risk doing X, Y, and Z. Now, the problem is, of course, that they didn't risk doing X, Y, and Z when they hadn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, at least now, at least they, you know, it's like, well, you know, it's it's a bit of the boy who cried wolf that, you know, oh, we were, you know, poor then. Well, now we're really poor. Yeah, you, well, still, you shouldn't have, you should have done something when you had money. Um, you know, but, but boiling that into the fact that there's just nothing out there now, you know, maybe they'll go overseas and, and find a guy that's it's coming over. They have had pretty good success with at least pitchers coming from the Asian markets. Um, yeah, maybe there'll be some non-tenders. Maybe they'll do something that surprises us. But, I mean, if you were to lay a bet on whether the Cardinals would make a trade this offseason, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't give very good odds on that. I think that they'll, you know, if they're doing anything, it's the Brad Miller in spring training type of move that they made this year. Yeah, that's, like I said, they have a track record. It's hard to expect anything other than what they always do from this team at this point because it's been so long since they did anything dramatic. And, I, you know, the Paul Goldschmidt trade was significant, right? But they still did what they normally do in finding a way to trade from the surplus that they weren't going to use anyway. Right. So, and that's great. Like from a business perspective, hats off to them for finding ways to do that to get Paul Goldschmidt. But again, they traded those pieces that they weren't likely going to use anyway for one year of Paul Goldschmidt and then found a way to get a deal done after that because they knew who Paul Goldschmidt was. (laughs) So it was still a fairly safe trade in terms of thinking they were going to end up getting what they wanted out of it anyway, which was a long-term deal with a guy that they knew who fit into the brand, who had, you know, a track record of success. I'm not, you know, discrediting anything that Paul Goldschmidt has done, but it was the very Cardinals-esque move. So my point is they haven't done something that surprised me in a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the stuff, you know, Marcelo Zuna, the Paul Goldschmidt, it was pretty, pretty telegraphed. So, I mean, that they were going to do something of that nature. It didn't just come. I mean, Jason Hayward may be the last real surprise. And, you know, that was kind of inspired, unfortunately, by the passing of, of Oscar Tavares. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not likely to be a surprising offseason. Okay, before we get out of here, because of who we are and what this show is, I think we really have to address this Trevor Rosenthal treat because it is, it is, it is wrong and it is, it is terrible. Um, Petco park is not baseball heaven. I mean, it could be a great place. Sure. But Trevor should know better. You know, playing a season without fans might make you forget, but also it's really beautiful in San Diego. <laughs> so that, uh, that little extra sunshine is probably tricking his brain a little bit, but I, I will also say this, uh, look, I get that, you know, we're trying to end this on somewhat of a, a comical note with, uh, you know, an undertone of it's only funny because it's true. Um, <laughs> but Trevor Rosenthal probably didn't have the greatest uh, 
final <laughs> memories in St. Louis, just from the perspective of, man, it was a struggle at times and then ended up injured and then ended up injured again. And it was a long road back. So I think in some respects, Trevor Rosenthal is just happy to be contributing to a major league team at this point. Oh, sure. um, and to, <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe his, uh, Reunion with Mike Matheny was not his favorite thing in the world. So getting to go from that <laughs> to play with a team that captured the attention of all of baseball and also is in San Diego where it's beautiful 24-7, uh, you know, probably has him writing the the <laughs> high of those good feelings that he maybe hasn't had for a while. So I'll give him a little credit, but um, he needs to remember his roots. <laughs> and and to be fair, I mean, Trevor Rosenthal came back to Bush Stadium this year. No fans were there to give him the traditional, you know, standing ovation um, as he put on Cardinals over Cardinals on base. Um, but, you know, um, so he didn't get that. And maybe that's, you know, why he forgets. You're right. It's been a little bit since he's been in St. Louis. And. New stuff always is interesting. You always like to think that the new stuff is best, but Trevor, if you're when, yeah, and I know you're listening, I know you're listening. Um, don't we forget. are his favorite podcast after all? There is no Padres podcast called Gateway to Baseball Heaven or any kind of baseball heaven mm, reference. None of those. Only only in Cardinal Nation do you have that. So just remember. <laughs> All right, we actually covered thirty minutes, and so we were <laughs> we weren't sure before we started if we would get that far, but we did. Uh, and Tara and I will be with you at some point, you know, this off season. And you know, if you've listened to us for any length of time, you know, we get the there's some weeks we take off, um, especially when there's uh, less news to be made. And given what we were just talking about, that could be a lot about this off season. Um, but we will be back with you at some point in time. Follow us on Twitter. Um, subscribe to the show you'll always get a you always get a notification there or you'll find us on twitter we'll drop the links um you'll you'll be able to find it even if we're not doing it every week but until next time for tara i'm daniel good night hey cardinals fans thanks for listening to this week's show if you liked what you heard you can find us on itunes just search gateway to baseball heaven under podcasts and click subscribe while you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in baseball heaven.